It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with the guest that everyone has been waiting for. I get emails about bringing this gentleman back on the podcast. I get tweets about it. He gets tweets about it because everyone wants to know how the Minnesota Vikings can fix their offensive line. So we welcome in our offensive line guy on the Purple Podcast, Brandon Thorne, who works for Scouting Academy, also writes for USA Football and has been a uh, contributor for several years here on the Purple Podcast. And, and Brandon, I think that that tells us something about how the Vikings have done over the past few years in fixing the offensive line, does it not? Yeah, I think so. It's It's been kind of a wild ride for the offensive line, that's for sure. But it's been good for you because we get to keep uh, bringing you back on the podcast here. And I want to start out that's with true. with what the Vikings have on the offensive line. I think everyone wants to know who the free agents are, who the guys in the draft are, and we've got plenty of time to get to the draft. So we'll get to that on a later episode with you. But um, I, I think we want to start with what's going to be here next year. And for me, that is two guys specifically for sure, and then another one very, very likely. And the, and the two guys for sure are Pat Elfline and Brian O'Neill, and then the very likely is Riley Reef. So let's go right tackle the left tackle here with Brian O'Neill. I don't think he was expected to start in year one and he worked his way into the lineup Rashad Hill struggled as a starter and then O'Neal didn't give up a sack. And I think that's a stat that Vikings fans can hold on to, but also upon review of the tape, there were quite a few pressures and, and quite a few times where he did get overpowered. So your take on how Brian O'Neal can grow from year one of not really being the size of an NFL right tackle uh, but with a lot of tools to work with, uh, to year two, having a full off season with an NFL program. Yeah, so I think, you know, you start with him getting stronger, increasing his play strength. I think that's one of the main issues that he has, specifically in his anchor ability and pass protection. Too often, guys would get into his chest and kind of blow him up, and, you know, he would give up too much ground in the pass game. 
So not only strength, though, which, you know, comes more gradually. Well, I also think technical improvement comes gradually. So both things, but strength and also technical improvement with his hands, you know, um, timing that he uh, strike timing, hand placement. So he's able to actually latch onto guys frames and not, you know, go too wide, go be too late, you know, and miss. So I think those are two big things. Also, just, you know, getting to his spot in pass protection is a big thing which really means being in that optimal position prior to contact on the defender, depending on the pass set and the alignment of the rusher, those things come with time. So I think those three things really, you know, getting to his spot, uh, hand usage and play strength are his biggest things that he needs to improve upon. But you saw a lot of promise from him. I was, you know, it was more than I was expecting from O'Neal, you know, as a rookie. So you know, I still had him as the third best tackle in the draft, and I thought long term his ceiling was very high. So I'm I'm excited about it. You know, ultimately, even if I was a little low on him early. Uh, so yeah, I think you have something there, but those three things definitely need to be approved upon. So it can also free up the offense and the scheme a little bit because quite a bit of help was schemed to his side, slide protections, extra help with tight ends, backs, things like that. So. You know, just from an offensive scheme perspective, if you can get him to improve in those areas, I think it'll free things up and make the offense less predictable. Something that Mike Zimmer mentioned with Brian O'Neill that I noticed as well, I think I sent you a message early in training camp and I said, I'm a little concerned about Brian O'Neill being too nice. <laughs> he's a very friendly guy and he's gregarious and talkative. And, uh, you know, that's not uncommon for a rookie sometimes before they sort of get grizzled by the grind of the NFL. Uh, but I was wondering, like, is this guy going to be too nice where he can't, you know, turn it on when it comes to going up against the best pass rushers in the NFL? And that concern, uh, did not come to fruition. And Mike Zimmer mentioned that Brian O'Neill was tougher than he thought. And, and it felt to me like as the season went along, you saw his toughness and you saw his resolve because he would get beat or he would get pummeled back to the quarterback and it wouldn't happen again. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get down on himself or it wouldn't be one of those games where the guy just looks like he doesn't want to be there. We saw that so many times with TJ Clemmings where he had tools, but if he got beat once, he was getting beat five times. So I think that the makeup and mentality of Brian O'Neill is, is very good for him to make those next steps. And he proved that he can be out there in big games or big situations. I guess my question, Brandon, you alluded to the strategy and the scheme. Kevin Stefanski coming back as an offensive coordinator if everything goes right with Brian O'Neill this offseason, how can he use O'Neill as a weapon because of his athleticism? Well, I think this kind of ties into the, the, the probably the best offensive line lineman on the team and elf line. Both of them, I think, in the same regard, and that's implementing more zone-based running schemes, specifically outside zone, to really allow them to u- utilize their athleticism and their movement ability to get around and seal hook reach guys also to climb to the second level, cut off linebackers also um, an increase in the screen game. Uh, You could do not just running back, but receiver screens, anything to get the offensive lineman in space. I think more specifically those two, because those are kind of the two building blocks moving forward. Those are the guys that you want to, you know, build the, the scheme around, you know, from an offensive line perspective the most. So I think that those things really are going to highlight their strengths the best way. 
Yeah, I think that that was somewhere uh, where John Filippo came up short, was using some of the Vikings' offensive linemen and their athleticism, um, or, or not using it enough, having them too often just lining up one-on-one and trying to block someone who's more powerful or more quick or, or whatever it might be than them. And even that applies to Riley Reef going one-on-one with Khalil Mack all night at Soldier Field. It's like, that's just not going to work. I mean, he's got talent, but... Uh, not against that guy who is a, a complete monster. He's not going to be able to block him one-on-one with Kirk Cousins sitting there in the shotgun. And we saw the problems that that caused against Chicago. Uh, so th- I think using those guys to get out in space and move is something that Pat Shermer did exceptionally well. And they're going to have to do some more of now with Pat Elfline, yeah. you and I talked about him. I mean, f- we've talked about him for a long time, going back to when he was drafted, you really liked what you saw at Ohio state. And in 2017, it felt like the Vikings had their next great center, the next uh, Matt Burke or something like that, right? And then this year, it was really tough for him because he was injured last year in the NFC Championship game. That injury kept him out all the way through week four, so he didn't have an offseason, basically, and didn't have a training camp and didn't have a preseason, any of those things. And it was very clear that he struggled at times because of that, and it just didn't look like he had the same strength as he did before. And then I also thought John Filippo didn't use him the same way that Shermer did. Uh, so he was ranked dead last by pro football focus among centers. And that's a question I get all the time is, is he actually not as good as we thought he was? What is your opinion on where he can go next year? Yeah, so there's a lot of context that gets missed with a grade like that from pro football focus, which I still think is a joke to rank him as the worst center in the league. But anyways, as far as the context that I think is the most important that you have to talk about is what you touched on is not having an offseason. And for offensive linemen, the offseason is a critical time in your preparation for the season. It's a time when you have to start working on small things within the scheme, technical things, fundamentals. And you don't want to have to work on that in the middle of the season. You don't want to, in the middle, you know, during the season and everything, you just want to fine tune things. You don't want to have to start from the beginning in week four coming off of, you know, his ankle injury. I mean, everything with offensive linemen starts from the ground up. So if you have an ankle knee type of injury, foot injury, that's going to severely hamper your ability to create movement at the point of attack, sustain blocks. I mean, that's your base. That's everything. So to not have that, you know, in place and, you know, to, to feel secure underneath yourself as an offensive lineman, you know, throughout mini camp, training camp, practice, you know, and, and then the start of the regular season, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, I think that's really the biggest thing by far with Elfline and with any offensive lineman is if you're injured throughout the whole offseason, the, when you get into the season, you're constantly trying to get stronger and you, it just, it just doesn't work as well. I talked to Teron Armstead um, earlier in the year when I interviewed him for an article and he told me that was the number one thing for him coming into this year is he had his first offseason in a couple, a couple of years. And that's what he credits is probably the biggest reason why he was as good as he was. You know, he was still second team all pro, but he probably would have been first team all pro if he didn't miss six games because he still wound up getting hurt. And that's kind of been something with him is he's just been injury prone, unfortunately. But as far as him being as dominant as he was through 10 weeks of the season, he attributed that more than anything to the off season that he was able to finally have. 
And so I think that you see that even Jack Conklin this year, he didn't have an off season. He didn't look like the same player. And as you just see it, you know, consistently when offensive linemen don't have off seasons, really NFL players in general, but really offensive line with how technical it is, you have to be able to work on that stuff prior to the year. And just not having that, not having your strength coming into the season either because you're not able to work out the same because you're rehabbing. Those things, I think, really hurt Elfline. So, you know, I still feel the same way I did about him coming into the draft with all that considered. I still think the best way to utilize him is, you know, like we talked about, zone zone run game being your predominant um, scheme that you use as an offense with gap and man principles mixed in, not the other way around which it seemed to be a little bit last year. Mm-hmm. So you know, those type of things, I think, you know, as, as far as scheme are going to really help him out. He's still, you know, a pretty undersized center. So you're not going to get a guy who's going to drive, you know, Akeem Hicks off the ball. I mean, not that anybody really does that anyway, but, you know, he's just not going to be that type of guy, which is totally fine because there's plenty of other centers who are undersized who succeed in this league at a high level. And I think that he could be the same way. So I, and, and not to mention all the intangibles and everything that he has as well. So there's, there's still a lot to like about Paddle Flynn, in my opinion. Yeah, I really like uh, who he is uh, and what we've seen from him as a leader. I, I think that that matters a lot at that position, uh, probably more than any other position on the offensive line. And you might say on, on all of the offense, it's quarterback number one and center number two in terms of the personality. And on the pro football focus grade, you know, I, I think there's the context that's missing. There's also the quality of competition. And I always try to talk about right. this with pro football focus is there isn't a good way to adjust for quality of competition. So if you're a number two corner, corner and you're facing number two receivers, it's not the same as being a number one corner and facing number one receivers. And the same thing goes for playing in the NFC North. I mean, you have Akeem Hicks, who is a top three player at that position. They also faced Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald. Those were the first two guys that Elfline got to face this year as a starter. And uh, you have Kenny, uh, Kenny Clark in, in Green Bay, and then Snacks Harrison joins the division, and I don't think people understand how good Damon Harrison is at football. Like, he is one of the most monstrous players at that position that can drive any center back, and when you have an undersized center, if you're asking him to just power those guys, I was watching one of the Chicago games, and the play required Pat Elfline to reach block on uh, Akeem Hicks, meaning he had to snap the ball and get to Hicks's outside corner and block him one-on-one or outside shoulder. I mean, to block him one-on-one, it's just an impossible task and you're going to get blown up by that beast and, th- and they're going to give you a bad grade. Like that's how it, that, that's, what's going to happen. That doesn't mean you're a bad player, but a lot of it is I don't see him ever being a highly graded player. As long as every team that he's going against has an elite nose tackle or, or three technique. Yeah. And you didn't even mention Mike Daniels, Eddie Goldman, right. Right. right Sean yeah. Robinson and Deshaun Hand. So, I mean, there's guys, pretty much the entire division, both the three technique and the nose tackle are very good players. So it's, yeah, it's it's unbelievable what centers have to deal with in the NFC North and really across the NFL, but really that division. So I think that's important, the competition, and also considering the fact that he didn't have an off season and actually missed several weeks of the season as well, or a few weeks of the season. So all those things combined, I yeah, I just... I'm still every bit as encouraged about Pet Offline that I was prior to the year and even, you know, coming into the draft. Okay, so we can talk about Riley Reef in a second, but I want to tie this into an opinion that I've been kind of, you know, formulating here about the Vikings offseason is 
when it comes to spending on free agents, the Vikings aren't going to have a ton of money, a ton of cap space, because they've spent a lot on the defense and a lot at the quarterback position, and Adam Thielen needs himself a contract extension like right now. Uh, so there's going to be not a lot of money to go absolutely crazy, but maybe they could create enough space for one guard or something like that. But I think that the natural improvement that you can project from Elfline and Brian O'Neill, Brandon, would make me hesitate on saying they have to get a bunch of new players on the offensive line because I think that, of course, a left guard, sure, maybe you bring back Nick Easton, maybe you don't, um, and, and maybe the first-round pick is a guard. I, I could definitely see that. But I think when it comes to allocating your resources, you can't, as the Vikings, overreact because you should expect those two guys to get quite a bit better as we go forward. Yeah, I I really like the idea as far as building the offensive line for next season as, you know, letting Brett Jones and Compton go and re-signing Easton, putting him in the mix at left guard, and then drafting a right guard. I think that's the way that you should do it. It's the most cost-effective way to do it, I'm sure, because Easton's not really going to demand a lot of money, but Minnesota, more than anybody, knows what he can do, and I'm sure that they value him and want him back, even if it's on a one- or two-year deal to, you know, kind of prove himself as a full-time starter. I love that idea. And also, you know, really investing in that right guard spot. You could do it in the draft, but you also could do it uh, via free agency if you wanted to on a more short-term basis. You might have to pay a little bit more, obviously, but that's another option as well. And you can also bring in additional competition at left guard if you want to move east into right guard. I mean, not competition, but there's more left guard starters in free agency than there are right guard starters. So you can always move east into right guard if that's something you want to do. You know, I'd much rather move him than one of these veterans who's over 30 years old. So you could do that. I mean, there's, but I, I do like those options. And if you do go free agency, you all obviously don't want to overpay. You don't want to make this a huge priority, I don't think, because you have Easton as an option to come back and you can definitely draft an inside guy in the draft, you know, in the second round, something like that, you know, because it doesn't really look like a too strong of an interior uh, offensive line class, but there's definitely a couple guys in there that I think you could look at. So there's, I think it's not that hard of a proposition right now to make this offensive line significantly better next season. The free agents that a lot of people are going to be talking about, Ramon Foster and Roger Saffold, the issue that I have with the Vikings trying to go after them is just the cost and their age. Saffold is a very good player, no doubt, but he's 31 years old, and Foster is 33 years old. Those are the type of classic... Guy on his last contract that maybe gives you a year, but then you end up stuck with, you know, something worse after that. And every player is different, but as you get older and older, the chances of that contract blowing up in your face really increase. And the Vikings at this point with their salary cap cannot afford to have a contract blow up in their face just with where they are in terms of their win now mentality with lots of big contracts having been handed out. So I wonder what you think of the idea of going after those two, what they might demand, and, and how good they actually are. Yeah, I mean, those are the top two. I really have a list of six guards that I'd look at, but those are the top two, you know, for sure. Like you mentioned, 31 for Saffold, 33 years old for Foster, week one, 2019. The thing is, they're both durable guys, at least the last few years. They've only missed, you know, between two and four games, I think, between them you know, the last two, three years. So that's pretty good. You know, uh, Mike Zimmer might have some, well, I know he has familiarity with Foster, you know, being in 
AFC North with him for as long as he was. So I'm sure he has some insight on him, probably likes Foster. Foster's a very solid player. But with both of those guys, I think you don't sign them to more than a two- or three-year deal. Now, they may just reject you off the bat because they can get a four- or five-year deal Mm -hmm. other places, and that's fine. But I would just kind of set the limit at that. You know, I really like the idea of them, you know, a short-term type contract like that. And and that's the thing. Sorry to interrupt you there, but that's the thing is is like – for the right money at the right contract. But when we get to free agency and see Justin Pugh get this massive deal, it's like, right. okay, he's, not, get he's right. Justin Pugh yeah. isn't even good or exceptional. These both, both these guys are better in my opinion. Yeah, so, sure, sure. But that, yeah. that, that makes my point. It's just that if these right. guys are better, they're going to get paid even more. And when there's teams out there that have $60 million or whatever it is in cap space, they're going to be the ones that say, just like when the Vikings went into uh, free agency two years ago thinking, oh, they could get Whitworth or Kevin Zeitler. And like, no, you can't because someone else is going to pay them a lot more than you, right? Yeah, the thing with Pew is he came out like three, four, five years younger, well, three years younger than Saffold and four years younger than Foster or something like that, you know, in free agency as well. So while he's not as good of a player, he's also, you know, quite a bit younger as well. So that could play a part of it as well. So maybe Foster and Saffold don't get quite as much money maybe they do I don't know but still those are the top two guys and you know the NFL highly favors offensive line right now in terms of free agency so those guys might be out of the mix but then I think you can go down the list and if you can get a good deal on some of these guys I would definitely look at them so if they go more of a zone type of scheme some of these guys may not be as good of a fit but just in general I look at Quentin Spain DJ Fluker, AJ Can, and Mark Lewinsky. And there's also like a guy named Mike Person, uh, Persons or Person from the 49ers who had a good year at right guard. But uh, those four guys to me, I think, are guys that I would, you know, definitely kick the tires on and just kind of talk to their agents, figure out what they're looking for. You know, you could probably get good deals on some of these guys. Like Mark Lewinsky is the right guard right now for the Colts. He was with Seattle. He's an athletic guy definitely fits the zone mold that you want the only thing is he's had, he has 11 starts in the last two years so that can be a negotiating tactic that the vikings you know use in that negotiation is he hasn't played a lot of games so i, I can't imagine that he would you know garner a t- ton of money on the open market but still he's going to be valuable he's 27 years old week one 2019 that's somebody i would look at especially for the zone type scheme and then can fluker in spain are more of the bigger gap concept type guys but still, you know, depending on what the scheme is going to be and, you know, or whatnot, those are guys I would look at. They're all going to be 28 or younger, week one, 2019. They've played a pretty good amount of games. You know, DJ Fluker is another guy like Lewinsky who's missed. He's only played, I think, 15 games in the last two years, but can in Spain are a little bit more durable. Spain has, you know, been injury prone as well, but he hasn't missed as many games as those other two. So, those are some guys that I think are, are really intriguing as, you know, the solid starter types who aren't going to be, you know, you, you don't want to overpay them, obviously, and pay them like they're very good. But definitely guys that would be improvements over what you guys have had. So those are guys I would look at. But Kulinski is really intri- intriguing to me. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, free agency has some options there, I think, you know, just a tier below those other two we mentioned. So do you think um, they should just move on from – uh, Mike Remmers or, or, or try to keep him at a reduced salary, uh, as a swing tackle, possibly. I mean, Rashad Hill, I like him, but in case of emergency, 
he's basically a one-game type of fill-in guy, and we see when he's got to fill-in for more than that, uh, it becomes problematic, like when he had to play in the playoffs and then early this year. Uh, should they try to just retain Remmers as someone who could play guard and tackle? Yeah, I mean, that that would, I think, work. You know, Rashad, I think you have to pick between those two, though. At least that's what I would do. You know, I think, you know, Remmers is under contract for another, like, two or three years, I think. Maybe you just keep Remmers and just keep him as a backup right tackle, you know, or somebody who could just come in in case O'Neal gets hurt, and that's really it. I mean, he, you could have him as a backup guard, but I wouldn't even really consider that. I would just probably, you know, I just think you take one of those two, and that guy would be your backup tackle and just get rid of the other one. That's kind of how I feel about them. Yeah, I think if they could restructure, then it would make a lot of sense because right now he's going to be a $6.35 million cap hit. That's a lot for a backup tackle. But at the same time, you're talking about a position that's huge. And if you lose one of those guys, we've seen Riley Reef get hurt uh, each season, not for long periods of time, but he's playing through injury in in both seasons at the end of 2017 and the beginning of this year when he hasn't been playing through injuries he's been pretty good but you know maybe there's a time here or there where he needs a week off and you need someone to to fill in uh, i think remmers would be valuable from that standpoint i also wonder about him and it doesn't happen a lot but as a potential trade asset if someone wanted to move him back to tackle but you know i think as they review this season brandon they're going to look back and say the Remmers idea at playing right guard was just never a good one. A, a guy who was Agreed. almost 30 years old having to switch positions, it just never made a lot of sense from the beginning, and it hurt them through the year that they stuck with it. Yeah, that's a guy that we talked about and I've mentioned in the past who I like, but he was barely hanging on at right tackle. You know, I thought he was a, a solid run blocker, really really good competitive toughness, got by in pass protection, you know, below average there, but still somebody you could put in a short-term basis at right tackle. So with all that said, and plus up in age, with all that said, to switch him to a new position, I just it just didn't make a lot of sense. I don't think long term he's definitely a guy you want to keep at right tackle. And at this point, I mean, you know him. I just don't know how much value he has at all. You know, I would just try to, like you said, restructure, bring him back, see how he looks at right tackle in camp and, and things like that. And you know, if he's serviceable, keep him around because I'm sure he's a guy that you'd want just in the room and on the team and stuff like that. And if he's not playing, you know, I think that's ideal, you know, at least in the starter role. So yeah, I, I still like Remmers for that type of role, but at this point, I think what they did at guard you know, diminished his value you know, a lot. Uh, Brandon, I'm disappointed in you for one reason. It's that you changed your Twitter handle. What were you thinking? Yeah, I, I did. I was just about yeah. to give your Twitter handle, the one that I have known for a long time. And now it is Brandon Thorne NFL. That's it. You're going to confuse people now. Yeah. I, I'm just well, kidding. I wanted to, I'm just messing. No, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I liked Veteran Scout, you know, because uh, it kind of incorporated my military service in there. But at the same time, I feel like one of the reasons why I did it at least was, you know, everyone gets these blue check marks. And I see, like, everybody who gets it has their name and their handle. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that was partly why I had never – gotten one and gotten actually rejected went back when you could apply for verification and always you know and they give you some vague reason why they did it i thought that (laughs) that was maybe a reason so that's partly why i did it but also just to mix it up and i don't know just kind of make it more you know just 
Uh, just to get my name out there a little bit more, I guess. Okay, I wasn't really uh, criticizing that, but uh, I, I no, did, I know, but that's, I, I that's did fine. like the homage to your service as as your Twitter handle. But Brandon Thorn NFL is now where you can find Brandon. You tweet out a lot of great stuff, clips from the All Twenty Two film, where you can learn a lot just by following him on Twitter about how offensive line play works who the dominant players are, what you should be looking for when you watch football. And uh, Brandon, as always, uh, awesome detail and in-depth stuff on the Vikings offensive line. I can guarantee you this will not be your only appearance on the Purple Podcast this offseason. So thanks for joining. All right, man, no problem. Thanks for having me on. And I'm really excited to continue talking about this as the offseason plays out. All right. Well, we will have uh, lots of time to do so because we're not covering the playoffs. So, all right. Uh, we will talk to you again soon, Brandon, and all of you again uh, here on the Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.